welcome. Glad you're here this morning as we kick off a new year and a new series. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. Um, and as you see on the screens behind me, the title of this series will be called The Grace Effect. We're going to be in Ephesians, which uh, is one of the richest books, I think, in the New Testament. So many scholars have, have written about this. Uh, uh, church historians have uh, talked about its importance. Um, several Im- people have just said this is one of the most key books to the Christian understanding because not only does it explain the gospel of grace, but it also under explains what uh, what that means for us as we live day to day in our lives. It's a summary of how the gospel impacts us. If you see the picture on the screen, this idea of if grace intersects with your life, it sends out ripple effects in your life that affect everything, not just your mind, not just your time here on Sunday morning, but really every single area of your life, as you'll see, is affected by God's grace. And so we look forward to looking at that in the weeks ahead. Ephesians, if you've ever read it or studied it before, you know it's got some really well-known verses, well-known key verses that are, are things that some of you may have memorized. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Another one you may have heard is Ephesians three twenty and 21, uh, now unto him who is able to do far exceeding above all that we ask or imagine, uh, to him be the glory in, in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forevermore. Uh, Ephesians four twenty six. let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. There's going to be a lot of practical suggestions about our speech and about our conduct. Um, Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Um, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning, actually. A couple more from chapter 6, uh, Ephesians 6 verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. I remember that being drilled into me as a kid. Uh, it's still there, amazingly. Um, and so uh, there's just a lot of practical advice for marriages, for families, for relationships and friendships in general, uh, and, and, and for your walk with Christ above all else. And then, uh, the book ends in chapter six with therefore, uh, put on the full armor of God. And, and we'll be looking at that in our final week in this series. So there's so much practical advice, uh, so much deep theological truth. Uh, it's going to be hard to cover it all, but we trust that God's Holy Spirit will speak through his words uh, and challenge us from week to week. Uh, we're calling this the grace effect. So what I would just challenge you with in the days ahead is that you would experience the grace effect and you can try to write this all down or, uh, we, we put these slides on the website each week. So if you don't feel like writing all this down, uh, you can go to our website a little bit later in the week and look and you'll see this slide. But I would just challenge you in three ways to, to engage the, the book of Ephesians. And the first one would be to read it. Uh, and it might be that, uh, you read it once. During this whole series, you might try to read it once a week. It really only takes probably about 20 minutes, I would say, less than 30 minutes for sure. Um, so read it once, once a week, or uh, if you're even braver than that, you could read it once a day uh, for the next few weeks. And so read Ephesians. Um, you may have, uh, this is another uh, point since this is the first Sunday of the year. Um, how many of you in your lifetime have read through the whole Bible? Anybody in here? Okay, so a good number of you. Uh, and I know a lot of people start reading plans at the beginning of the year. And so if you've already started that, add Ephesians to it. Uh, but I would encourage you about, that's just a side note. If you've never read through the entire Bible, um, 
You don't, here's the beautiful thing. If you have the Bible app, you don't have to start on January 1. You can start whatever day you want to and try to get it done in a year. I'm telling you, that's one of the most life-changing things that I think happened to me and, and continues to happen to me. I made it a point a few years ago to try to read through Scripture once a year. Uh, and I'm telling you, it, you see things every year that you never saw before. And God continues to speak in a fresh and new way through these words that were spoken thousands of years ago. So beginning, read Ephesians. I would also say memorize Ephesians. Uh, there's a couple passages up there. Uh, some of them are shorter if you feel like you need a shorter passage to memorize. Uh, and there's a few longer ones in there. Uh, or if you're really brave, you could even try to memorize the whole book. But uh, reach out to someone else. I think this is something you could do as a married couple or with a friend here in this church. Just try to learn some of these verses. Implant God's word in your heart because I firmly believe that it's God's word that changes hearts. We're going to see this morning that God is in the business of transforming people and his word is a key element in how he does that. He speaks to us and he changes our heart through his word. So if we plant his word in our heart, I think it changes us. And then uh, lastly, I would just challenge you to pray Ephesians. And what do I mean by that? I actually mean use the words of the book and turn them into prayers. Um, uh, for example, I quoted uh, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You could pray that as a prayer. Dear God, please help me to be kind to whoever tenderhearted toward them, forgiving them, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven me. And so I would encourage you to turn these verses into prayers. There's a couple of prayers that I actually listed up there in chapter one. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at next week. And then the, the prayer in chapter three, those are actually prayers that I would encourage you to pray for Trinity Church. Pray those prayers for Trinity Church. And, and especially if I had to hone in on one, I would say uh, the one in chapter 3. It just prays that God's love would just be so real in our lives. And again, it just would affect every single thing that we do. And that's my prayer, I think, for, for 2020 in general, is that this church and this year, this would be a year that we are, are known as a church that loves the way Jesus loves. And how can we do that? Only if we experience the grace of Jesus Christ and the love that he showed us through his son, Jesus. So those are some introductory remarks, um, but I want us to now look, uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This week we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, the, the title of this message is called Crazy Rich, okay, Crazy Rich. You'll understand what I mean in just a second. Now, in a new year, um, in fact, this is interesting, we asked our kids, uh, what was some of your favorite things from 2019? And I've asked some of you all that. And it seems like a lot of times people, when they start talking about the things they remember from last year, over and over again, I heard, well, it was this trip that we took or we went there. And, and some of you may already be in the process of planning trips for 2020. And I, I'll look back on this trip that we took. Uh, it was probably it was 2018. We took our three oldest girls uh, to Washington, D.C. And we got to see some amazing things that I'm going to show you here this morning. Uh, has anybody else ever been to this place? Does anybody know where this is in Washington? It's the Museum of Natural History, uh, the, the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History. Some amazing displays there. Uh, but the one that I really want to talk about this morning was the, the precious gems display. This was really interesting to me, and I'm going to show you a series of the things that were there. Um, this right here is called the Hope Diamond. It's one of the largest diamonds in the world. They estimate that this diamond, it's blue in color, is worth uh, over $350 million dollars. Just this one little rock uh, is worth over $350 million. Uh, another one, uh, this is called the Carmen Lucia Ruby. And they estimate this is worth over $30.3 million. That's what it sold for in like 2015. 
And it doesn't seem like these things lose their value, right? So millions of dollars. Another one, the Marie Louise diadem. Uh, the value is unknown for this crown. This is a crown that uh, was made for a queen. It used to have 22 emeralds, had uh, 1,002 other stones, 66 diamonds. They don't really know how much this thing is worth, but it was on display there. And then one more, uh, this butterfly, which looked like a toy my kids would play with, but it's so much more uh, valuable than that, uh, is it has over a hundred uh, gemstones in it. You know, all these gems, all these precious things that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars have one thing in common. And uh, you probably couldn't see it from those pictures, but maybe you can see it from this picture. They all had one thing in common. And that's that they were in display cases, all right? You could look at them, you could see them, you could read about them, you could come right up to the display case, but you could not touch them, you could not use them. They were just there to be looked at. Um, you see these people, people like us, that crowded around the cases, press their nose up, take pictures of them. You can do all those things, but you're not allowed to touch them. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought especially those jewels were made to be worn, right? Their jewelry is made to be worn. And now here they are in a display case, unable to be used by anyone. They're under lock and key alarms. No one can touch them except to be researched. Well, what we want to talk about in Ephesians this morning is a treasure that is not off limits. In fact, it's a treasure that you can experience. It's a treasure that it's, it's riches that will transform you. Riches that truly make a difference in your life. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about here in the book of Ephesians over the next couple of weeks. And I would just tell you this. You may be saying to me, oh, yeah, Marcus, that's a totally different kind of thing than those riches. Those are the kind of riches I want. Money, jewels, gems, gold, silver. And I would say to you, yes, the riches that we are talking about this morning are a different kind of riches. But I would tell you they are a far superior kind of riches. Because you see money, wealth. Gold, silver, diamonds, those things will never last. But the grace and the riches of grace that are given to us in Christ Jesus last, not just for this lifetime, but forever. It's a superior treasure. We are experiencing greater riches through what Christ provides. What I want us to do before we read our text this morning is I want you to be looking for a couple of key phrases in this passage, in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, um, there's a lot of key words, actually. There are, there are many, many key words in these verses. But I want us to focus in on these two phrases, uh, in Christ or in Him. We actually see that happen about, I think, 12 to 15 times in this passage, depending on how you count it. And then the word grace comes up multiple times as well. And so just kind of pay attention to those words because we're going to come back to those in just a second. But uh, follow along on the screens or if you have your Bible, follow along in your Bible as I read uh, the words from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. It begins like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose, to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. And so I would just, uh, you know, as we read through that, it's a lengthy passage. A lot of deep theological words. We're not going to be able to dig completely into everything that's mentioned in this passage. A lot to notice. But I guess just a couple things. First of all, did you notice we're called Trinity Church. Did you notice that we had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mentioned in there? Uh, That's kind of a side note. You'll see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together to give us the riches that we're going to discuss this morning. None of them work separately from each other. They all three work together, one God in three persons. But you also saw these uh, riches, these things that come to us in Christ or in Him. If we were going to make a laundry list, there's, there's a lot of little things, but we're going to boil it down to three of them uh, this morning. You'll see those three blanks in your bulletin. But uh, but these riches, you'd say, well, how do I get my hands on these? Really, you know, that's what humans have been asking all throughout history, right? How do I get my hands on more money? How do I get my hands on the treasures? Those things that, those jewels that I showed you, there were people that were killed for those things. People died so that they could have those treasures. And yet, how do we get a hold of these treasures that we get in Christ and in Him? Well, let me tell you how. It's through grace alone. We're going to unpack that word this morning, grace. What does that word mean? Um, But I think uh, maybe to help us understand this, you might say, I want those blessings in Christ, but how do I get them? What's the way I can get them? I think something that helps us understand this would be a little event that's going to happen uh, a week from tomorrow. A week from tomorrow over in the in the Superdome. Has anybody been paying attention to this here? The 2020 National Championship. I don't know if you know this or not. But LSU is going to be playing in the national championship next Monday night, okay? And guess what? I bet everyone in this room, at least everyone who likes LSU, I don't know if we have anyone in here who likes Clemson, um, everyone who likes LSU says, I would love to get into the into the Superdome, you know? Uh, line me up. In fact, you see all these people outside at a previous LSU event lined up trying to get in, waiting to get in. But guess what? To get in, you have to have a ticket, don't you? You have to have a ticket. And guess what? The thing about a ticket is it costs money. Um, in fact, I looked up on on StubHub.com uh, the other day, uh, what's the price of a ticket? And so the, the most expensive ticket I found, if you can read the little fine print up there, I can't read it without my glasses, but trust me when I say it says $76,000. $76,000. So you could say to your kid, hey, son, you can either go to college or you can go to one college football game. OK, uh, what, which would you rather have? But uh, or uh, rest assured, they're not all that expensive. I think I found some for around a thousand if, if you're interested in that. OK, um, but uh, the point is, we all would love to have a ticket to that big game. 
wouldn't you? If you're a fan of LSU, you'd love to get into that event. You have to have a ticket, but you have to be able to pay the price for the ticket. Well, guess what? To have these blessings that are in Christ, there's only one way you can get a ticket to have those blessings, and that is through the grace of Jesus Christ. So I played with this logo a little bit, and our hope is that this year at Trinity... Grace is our theme uh, here in, in Covington on the North Shore and in the Nor- New Orleans area that really we as a church would be all about grace and love of Jesus Christ and going out and sharing that in this area. Because not only do you have a ticket that's been purchased for you to participate and to get a full share of these riches, but God says, I want you to share that with others and, and share it freely just as I have shared it with you. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in the days ahead. So this idea of of receiving blessings in Christ through grace, grace is your ticket. It's important to realize this. We're talking about tickets to a football game. If you go to a football game, you're a spectator, right? Well, uh, I think it's J.I. Packer in the book, Knowing God, talks about there are two kinds of people in life, spectators and travelers. And so when we talk about grace being your ticket, this is not a ticket to be a spectator. God says, if you've received my grace, you are a traveler in life. You are on a journey with Jesus Christ, uh, and, and it will last for all eternity. And we are not to be spectators. We are to be travelers. And so you've received grace. You have a ticket not just for 2020, but for 20 million, uh, for 20 million years to, to live with him forever. I think it's important for us to talk about this morning, though, what grace is. What is grace? Because you see, if if grace uh, is our ticket, grace is the only way that we can experience these spiritual blessings, then I think it's important for us to spend a few minutes just talking about what it is and then digging into uh, how we experience it. Uh, a couple definitions here on the screen. You've probably heard these before, uh, but this idea of grace is something that you could never earn, okay? So grace is the kindness of God towards undeserving people. The kindness of God towards undeserving people. Uh, I think the key word for us as humans to recognize there is that we are undeserving. So many times we think that to receive God's love, we have to do something to earn it. Or God loves me because I'm a pretty good guy. Okay, That's not grace. That would be something else. Uh, God says grace is for people who are completely undeserving. And we have to realize that we are undeserving. Another word is uh, God's unmerited favor. Another definition is God's unmerited favor. What does this mean? I think it's the idea that sometimes we think I have enough merit, I have enough goodness in me that that's why God's going to love me. Again, that's misunderstanding grace. God does not love us because we merit his love or because we deserve his love. Uh, He loves us because he has grace for us. He gives us love even though we don't deserve it. And what do we see? How do we see this taking place? There's a, there are three, I would just say three treasures three crown jewels, whatever you want to call them, three things that we would call riches that God gives to us. And I want us to look at each one of these this morning as we understand what grace is. And so I would say the first thing is that grace is adoption in this passage. Grace is adoption. Uh, you know, if you start at the very beginning of this passage, uh, go all the way back to, cha- to, to verse 2. What I love is Paul introduces himself, says who he's writing to, And then he says, grace to you and peace. Now, Paul begins a lot of his letters in the New Testament with these words, grace and peace. But guess what? It's not just a, oh, hey there, how you doing? These are deeply significant words. And I love it that his first word to these Ephesians is grace. As he begins to speak to them, he says, grace 
to you. So it's important for us to understand what this is. But then you get down into verses 3 through 6, and it talks about this idea of adoption. Adoption. Now, Sarah and I have multiple family members and friends who've gone through the adoption process. And it's this legal procedure uh, whereby a child becomes a member of another family. Or you could see it the other way. It's a legal procedure whereby parents uh, become parents of this child. And so... Uh, Basically, you join this family. And in, in the ancient world, it was the same thing. And here's the thing uh, in, with adoption in the ancient world is that the rights of an adopted child were equal to the rights of a biological child. Okay, so if you adopted a child into your family, that child would share the same benefits as any of your biological children would. And so uh, this idea of adoption is the picture that God gives us to understand his grace for us. He says, I chose to adopt you. As my child, it says, as, as sons of God uh, and daughters of God. Uh, here's a verse, uh, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. We just celebrated Christmas, right, and remembered the coming of Christ. And I love these verses. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Folks, God is pro-adoption. If you know him, he adopted you into his family. He says, you are now my daughter, or you are now my son, because of Jesus Christ. And this picture of adoption is great, but I don't know if you picked up on, uh, if you saw this at all last year, this picture. Did anybody see this picture going around, or there was a video of it on the internet? This is a, a, a picture of a kid who's going through an adoption procedure, uh, or adoption hearing in a courtroom, and he invited his entire kindergarten class to attend it with him. And how beautiful a picture is that uh, to see this child becoming a child who didn't have parents now has parents. A child who didn't have a family now has a family. And I think it's interesting that this made the rounds on the Internet. This was one of the viral videos or pictures of the year uh, because who doesn't love that story? It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And I think if you ask this kid, he's young, so he may not realize it. But when adoption works properly, it's one of the most beautiful things that happens in the life of, of, of the family that's involved. Um, and so uh, it's a wonderful story that, that the world celebrated, really, uh, through this picture. And I think when we think about adoption through Jesus Christ, it's a beautiful story. God says, I am your father. I want to love you. I want to welcome you in and give you the benefits of being one of my children. Adoption. You may not have, uh, you may have also noticed though some of these words in these first six verses are words that give some heartburn <clears throat> in the, in the Christian community. The word predestination was in there. Election, choosing. These are words that people have really got bent out of shape about. They say, well, it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So these are hot-button words in the Christian community. But what we need to realize is that what, what Paul is saying here is that God has chosen to show his love to us. Um, and, and the other thing about adoption, I think, is that it's God who moved toward us. He made the first move, didn't he? Uh, we did not seek him out and say, God, we have a plan. Why don't you send your son to die for us, and then we can come to you? No, that was God's plan from before the beginning of time. And when the fullness of time had come, that's when he sent his son to become a human. And again, uh, 
we can't dig into this too much today, but things we do know for certain about this topic of election and predestination and things like that. Again, I know this causes a lot of heartburn for some people, but the first thing we have to realize is that this is a great mystery in Scripture. Uh, there's been people on both sides of the fence that have tried to explain this clearly for centuries um, and don't get along with each other. But here's the bottom line. This is what we, we have on the one hand in Scripture, God's will. God has a plan for every one of you, a plan for this world. But on the other hand, we have human responsibility. Scripture teaches us that we are 100% responsible for the choices that we make. How those two things fit together is a mystery. I think Paul says in uh, Romans eleven thirty three, I believe, he says, Oh, the depth of the mystery of the love of God. It's just something that's beyond comprehension. But what you do need to know, I think this picture of adoption helps us to understand the result of all this is that God says, I want to love you as a father. Please receive my love. Another thing we know for sure on this topic is that salvation is God's work. He, he is moving towards us. And then we do know this, that we are called to respond in faith. We are called to respond in faith. And God loves us enough to make us his sons and daughters. That's the bottom line. God loves us enough to call us his sons and daughters. Um, I would just say this. When we think about the topic of adoption, again, there's those, those controversial words I'd love to talk to you more about if you want to. But the takeaway here is this. If God has adopted you as his child, you're his daughter or you're his son, build a relationship with your heavenly father. He's welcomed you into a family. He gives us this picture that he says, I want to be your father. And so what does a father, what does a parent do with their child? That a true loving father would build a relationship. Uh, get to know your heavenly father. Spend time with him in prayer. Spend time in his word. Speak to him. Let him speak to you. Uh, build this relationship with him. Uh, those of you who are parents know that a relationship with your kid doesn't happen by accident. Uh, it also is something that doesn't really happen by choice either, right? You, you're thrust into this, into this relationship and you have to have a relationship. Hopefully it's a good one. Um, but build this relationship with your heavenly father. He has adopted you. If you know him, if you've trusted Jesus, he's adopted you. Get to know him, grow in your love for him, serve with him, walk with him. Spend time with him. God loved us enough to adopt us and call us his sons and daughters. And so that's the first thing, the first riches, uh, the first treasure that we see uh, here in Ephesians chapter 1 is the adoption. Grace is adoption. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God gives us this new birth. But secondly, we see that grace is redemption and forgiveness. In him, we have adoption. In him, we have redemption and forgiveness. And you might say, oh, Marcus, you're, you're losing count here. That's actually two things. That should be number two and number three. <laughs> but here in, in Ephesians, I think Paul puts those two words together because they're kind of two sides of the same coin. It's two ways of saying the same thing. And if you think about uh, the word redemption nowadays, uh, when's the last time you use that word uh, in a conversation? Probably not recently, right? There might be a few things. I, I could think of a few. One was, uh, you might say, I redeemed a coupon. Uh, so I traded this thing for that so that I could get money off of whatever I was buying on Amazon, okay? You could say, I redeemed a coupon. Uh, a coupon, uh, another thing would be to say, his one redeeming quality 
is this. Uh, and, and so basically you're saying that guy has a problem, but he has one redeeming thing that makes him worth getting to know. Another thing that I could think of was the word, uh, uh, your, your sports team is looking for redemption. You know, like last year, the, the Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship. And so this year we were looking for redemption, but Patriots are out. So none of us are complaining about that. Uh, anyways, you're looking at, those are the only ways I could think of it really being used today, which is a whole lot different for how it was used in Bible times. Redemption is a key word in scripture and it's a key concept that comes up multiple ways. Uh, in, in, uh, the Old Testament, for example, when we see God talking about himself as the redeemer, uh, the word redemption actually, it's a really deep word. It has the idea of, of humans can do, can practice redemption. It's a human activity. And this idea would be, let's say you had a relative, who had to become a slave uh, because they got on hard times. Well, you could go redeem them and pay their way out of slavery and save them. Or you could uh, pay off a debt that was due. You could redeem that debt. And that's kind of the background for the term. And then at some point in the Old Testament, God says, I am the redeemer. I'm the one who's going to pay off the debts. I'm the one who's going to make the broken things right. And so when we get to, to this New Testament usage of it, uh, basically in the Old Testament, you see when things are broken, either people or God says, I'm going to come in and fix what is broken as a redeemer. But when we come to the New Testament, I think that the, the people that were reading Paul's words would have had a really great picture of this uh, because of a common practice in the Roman Empire. This picture right here is a picture of slavery. Uh, in the ancient world, slavery was just a fact of life. Um, there were it's estimated that up to maybe 30 to 40% of the Roman civilization was, was slaves, especially in the big cities. Huge population of slaves. Over a third of the people were slaves. And so this word redemption was a word that was used when somebody was purchased out of slavery. Somebody came and paid their debt and redeemed them and set them free. Um, and so this idea of being set free from slavery is a huge piece of what redemption means in the minds of these New Testament readers. And so when we think about this idea of redemption, we have to realize that God says, you all were slaves, but I have sent my son, Jesus Christ, to set you free. In him, you have redemption. And guess what? It cost him a great price. Uh, look at verse 7. We read these verses earlier when we took communion. In him, we have redemption through his blood. It's amazing that, that Paul mentions what it cost. He literally spilled his blood so that we could be purchased, our, our redemption could be purchased. We could be set free from slavery to sin. How beautiful is that? Think about this idea of being a slave. God says, I have set you free from that through the sending of my son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that you could experience forgiveness. See, a price had to be paid before God could say, I will forgive you for your sins. The bottom line is this. You and I are flawed people. We're sinners. We cannot have a relationship with God. We cannot be called God's children because we're flawed. We're sinful. God cannot tolerate sin. But guess what? God sent Jesus Christ his son to be our redemption and to offer us forgiveness. He paid the price which we could not pay. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so in Christ alone, we have redemption and forgiveness. These two words that kind of describe the same concept. 
I love these verses from Psalm 103 that describes the forgiveness that God gives us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What a beautiful picture of what God's forgiveness and God's redemption looks like. It's like he wipes the slate clean. And so, folks, if you've experienced God's grace, let's say you've trusted Jesus Christ, he forgave your sins. He redeemed you. But guess what? When you still commit sins, he says there's abundant forgiveness, more than you could ever use up. All you have to do is ask me. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this idea of redemption, what's our takeaway from this? I think two things. One would be embrace this redemption. Embrace the forgiveness. In other words, trust that God has provided this for you. If you've never trusted him and said, God, I believe that it's through you alone that my sins are forgiven, uh, do it now. Because you see, a lot of times people think, ah, maybe if I'm just, a, if my good things outweigh my bad things, then I'll be good enough and God will forgive me. That's not the way it works. You could never earn this. God says, trust in Christ alone and you will receive the redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. So that's one thing. Embrace this redemption. Trust him. Keep trusting him. But then the other side of that, I think, is we are called, and you will see this later in Ephesians, you are called to demonstrate the forgiveness and the kindness of God that's been showed to you. So not only embrace the redemption and forgiveness, but demonstrate it. Imitate Christ as you demonstrate this kind of forgiveness to others. Whether it's in your marriage, uh, your family, your workplace, whatever it is, God calls us to demonstrate this love and forgiveness. But then the last thing that we want to look at, we're talking about these treasures that we receive in Christ. Number one, adoption. Number two is redemption and forgiveness. But number three is we see that we receive an inheritance, an eternal inheritance in verses 11 through 14. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in him might be to the praise of his glory. Do you notice that that phrase, the praise of his glory, comes up, I think, three times in this passage? Um, all of this, all of these blessings that God gives us, all these treasures that we have that we can experience right now, result in God getting more praise. He gives us more and more grace to more and more people so that he can receive more and more praise. So what is this inheritance? It's eternal life. It's eternal life. It's freedom from death. Freedom from sin, freedom from the sickness of sin, as well as from the penalty of sin. And that's the, the, the inheritance he gives us. And guess what? In verse uh, 13, it says, you received the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Here's the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God lives inside you. And God says, this is like a down payment for a house. I'm going to give you a taste of what is to come because I will be with you forever if you're my child. I'll be with you forever and you will experience transformation through my Holy Spirit. We're going to look more in the weeks ahead at what that transformation looks like and what the Holy Spirit makes possible. But I love verse 13. And this is where we're going to end for today. Verse 13 
says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, then you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I love that description of the gospel. Because no matter what you think about how this all works, it says that you heard the gospel and then you believed in him and then you received your inheritance. You already are in possession of the Holy Spirit, your inheritance. And so what I would say to you is this. Think about who it is that you can proclaim this to. If you think about your inheritance, this is our takeaway on the inheritance is share your inheritance. This is not a fortune or a treasure that's meant to be hoarded. This is something that God says, I shared it freely with you. Now share it freely with those around you. Share your inheritance. Who can you share it with? If you think about that verse, it says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, think about when was it that you heard that, if you have, and when did you believe that? And who did that? Who did you hear it from? God used somebody, maybe somebody in this room, to help you hear that message. And so I would just encourage you, God may want to use you as the person who shares that message with others. So share this inheritance. So that's my prayer for this year, is that we join together. Let the riches of God's grace affect you so that you can affect others. Let God's grace be poured out to more and more people so that he will receive more and more glory. Man, we're going we're gonna to close with prayer in just a second, but we're also going to pray for the shared meal. Um, and then I'll actually use the, the verses from Ephesians chapter 3 as our benediction this morning. So thanks for being here. Let's, uh, let's bow with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to gather and celebrate your grace, your undeserved favor. God, I pray for each individual in this room that they would remember the beauty of these riches that you've given us. And God, I pray that we would uh, pursue you with our whole hearts. God, I pray, uh, thank you for this meal that we're about to share as a church family over in the FDC. God, thank you for providing that food uh, from each other. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would enjoy that time together. And Father, we also uh, pray that for this church, that you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.